1: Thanks for downloading this week's episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. This is the last in our series of Dream 15 where we get a guest to come on and join us in order to pick their fantasy team of all time and uh, it's a great one to finish on. It's the uh, former Fiji Sevens coach Ben Ryan obviously turned turned inventor by creating the Rugby X version of the game as well and uh, yeah really really one of the smartest brains uh, in, uh, in world rugby so a really good interesting guy to chat to and actually for a bloke who has spent so much time uh, being an innovative coach, it was really nice to chat about some of the old school things about rugby and uh, Ben of course was a a player back in the day in uh, kind of straddling the early era of professionalism. And uh, yeah, he's got some great stories, and picked his side accordingly. Basically, based on, uh, based on some of the uh, some of the antics that they got up to back in the day. So uh, yeah, really enjoyed chatting to Ben. Really bright guy, but also a really funny, and engaging guy too. So uh, yeah, thanks to all the guests who joined us for Dream Fifteen across the last uh, across the last well yeah nearly four months really. So we really enjoyed doing them, and thanks to everyone for listening. So as of next week, we'll be going back to a more current affairs style version of the show. So I hope you can join us for that. Uh, As always, we'll have some more great guests joining us too. And of course, a big thanks to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. Right, hope you enjoy the show.
0: Robert Jones, nicely out to Emyr Lewis the captain He's going to do it! And it's a try for Wales. and the Welsh
1: captain... Welcome to another episode of Dream 15 from the attacking scrum. Every week throughout lockdown we've had a guest join us to choose a fantasy team made up of their favourite players. Joining me on this episode is one of rugby's great innovators... A hugely successful coach in sevens, first in charge of England, then of course leading Fiji to their first ever Olympic medal when they won gold at Rio Olympics. Since then, he's turned inventor, pioneering a shorter form of the game in Rugby X. And it's a big welcome to Ben Ryan. How are you, Ben?
0: I'm really well, Jed. Thanks for inviting me on. This is a this is a cool pod, and I get to talk about different things, so I'm excited.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, we're delighted to we're delighted to have you on board, and uh, really looking forward to seeing who. Uh, who's going to going to make up your team? Uh, just just before we get underway, I mean, obviously we're living. Uh, we are just saying off off air there, we're living through very strange times right now. Um, and I, you know, I guess rugby really finds itself in at something of a crossroads. Um, you know, as someone who's who's very much still involved with the game and, and is never short of an opinion or two, uh, do you think there's a real opportunity to to kind of reshape the game as a result of uh, as a result of the the whole? Uh, you know, I suppose the whole COVID scenario really.
0: Yeah, I do. I think on 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 a number of levels, really. Um, I think you know certainly if the stuff that I I guess I'm spending more time on is the seven side, and and that that can have a whole restructuring now because um, it doesn't really work in its current format. It's not very um, hasn't got enough um, reach as a TV product. It's too long, and it's but it's got such potential. So I think yeah, that that could definitely be one of them. And I think in the 15s game, you know, the fact that, that prem in in England. Premiership teams were starting to furlough staff after only a couple of weeks um, of lockdown. Shows you just how hand-to-mouth a lot of these teams are, and that reducing salary caps, um, having perhaps talking about now—I don't like the word ring fencing, but I do like the, the expansion type setup where you know those sort of things, so that you can allow those those teams a bit more safety and security around no relegation, still allow the opportunity for teams to come into that. Um, and change the season and look at the timings of all of that. I think now's the chance um, to do that. And also I think internally it gives all the clubs a chance to spring clean a little bit. I think they've got quite a top heavy with numbers of management and coaches and, and, uh, and I think they can trim all of that and realise that perhaps less might be more for them going forward.
1: Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. It's going to be fascinating to see how this uh, is kind of see how it all plays out really. And I think that, all of those problems that you've mentioned there have, have been have been there in rugby almost since the, the start of professionalism and and I suppose it's, it's taken a situation like this to to bring everyone to the table and hopefully that we are going to end up with a more a more sustainable version of the game, both sevens and fifteen. Yeah, I hope so.
0: And and that's yeah, and it's interesting a lot of the stuff that I'm gonna talk about, my picking my teams, I you now it's nice to be able to talk about that actually the playing side of rugby, because I think everyone thinks of me as a sevens coach, but uh, I did play um not particularly well and uh, and also coach fifteens and that 's also so I get a chance to talk about that now, and a lot of this team will be from that start of professionalism yeah. um, that's that 's when and you know, I was playing the game
1: great well we 're looking forward to doing that as you say they 're swapping seven sevens for dream fifteen today so what uh, what criteria have you have you opted for when when picking <laughs> your
0: side? Well, I thought rather than just choose kind of the best player that I can think about that I've played with, against, or coached, um, which you know, there's not. I don't think there's too much fun in that. I thought I'd just pick players that I've played with, against, or I've coached that um, I've got a bit of a story at least towards it and why I, why they, why I put them in, and, and it kind of threads as well. I've used the thread of of my playing career as well for some of these and the different clubs and and positions that I played over the over my time fantastic
1: well let's uh, let's start with loose head prop then let's say that having you know spent a, a lot of your career in in the shorter forms of the game uh, I'm really intrigued to, to see how you go about selecting the front row are we looking at a, a bunch of grizzled scrummages here or uh, yeah t- talk us through your loose head
0: yeah combination really um I've gone for somebody I played with at Loughborough University and Cambridge University at loosehead, uh, a guy called Gavin Reynolds who was um who played at Saracen's as well um, and and I picked him really because Um, We played in kind of the amateur professional days. Um, So he was at Cambridge Uni with me. um, And I remember, I just remember one time when we were playing a touring Japanese side. And after the games, you go to one of the colleges. I think we were at Queen's um, in Cambridge. And uh, after the game, the opposite uh, player presented you with a miniature version of your shirt in their colours. And then he sat down next to you. And he basically said, right, we're going to go head to head and drink all night. Now, um, again, I was OK because like, I wasn't a big drinker, but my opposite man was just a shy, just shy over five foot. Uh, and so it wasn't, it wasn't long before he, was, he, was, he had disappeared. Um, and that was continuing as I looked left and right down the tables. Everybody was doing the same. Gav Reynolds, the Lucid, was kind of the guy that took the mantle as being our best drinker. Um, and he got absolutely wasted by this Japanese prop opposite him. So we found the the program. We got the picture of this guy. We blew up his his, his head picture um, to big poster size. And he had to have that above his bed for the rest of the year just to remind him that uh, there's always someone better than, than you around the corner. So that that's why I thought I'd just start it off because it's not all about professional rugby and a little bit of fun there, I guess. Oh, uh, so- uh,
1: yeah, lovely throwback to the to the amateur era. I'm sure uh, I'm sure Gav Reynolds will be delighted that he's been getting another <laughs> one shirt for that reason. So uh, yeah, that that is as good a reason as any. So it will be Gav, uh, Gavin Reynolds in at loosehead. Uh, let's uh, let's move on to Hooker.
0: Yeah, Hooker was a guy that I played with and against. Um, the, um, I played against him when he toured with um, with Samoa or it was actually Western Samoa back then. Um, Trevor Leota um, and uh, and then I weirdly played with them so um he was fantastic in the we played luckily at cambridge we played them two years in a row western samoa beat them in uh, my first year and then and then lost by a point in the second year and trevor was playing at, at hooker and then a little bit later on um i ended up in a bizarre circumstances playing for pacific islanders uh, at scrum and trevor was playing at open side at the time um and i had to um I had to organise the warm-up and try to um, organise some line-outs and scrums, but they just called in Fijian if it was going to the front, Samoan if, Samoa if it was going to the back, and and Tongan if it was going to the middle, which didn't help me at all. Um, but it was a lot of fun. I just thought he, he was like a hooker that was just all over the field, um, hit people really hard, didn't take the game too seriously, and um, was a good guy to have on your side. And, and luckily, I managed to have that after having to go opposite him um, earlier on in my career. I
1: remember years and years and years ago reading an article in either the, the, the Times or the Guardian, and uh, it started it said, everyone has a favourite Leota story, except those who are, are still too traumatised to talk about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, is an absolute fearsome competitor and, you know, like you say, everywhere across the pitch. But... So powerful, ball carrying, huge hits, you know, it must be, yeah, it must be a dream to play with and a nightmare to play against.
0: Yeah, and I guess you kind of like, also like back in the day then, you got to know your hookers quite well because you had to make sure that when the scrums came, that you were absolutely getting your put in spot on and it was going right to where he wanted for his foot placement to actually strike yeah. the ball, which doesn't hasn't happened for many, many years um and if you ever got that wrong and you didn't see his tap or you didn't get things right you know he would look bad because you've cause they've got one against the head and you you'd you'd get it from him straight away so um you really had to build up that um that relationship with your hookers um and and so yeah that but he he just was a little bit different to everybody else Amazing.
1: Well, so far in your in your two selections, we've spoken about drinking ability and actually hooking the ball. So we really
0: are a <laughs> little throwback to the amateur, here, aren't we?
1: It's good stuff. Yeah. Let's let's see if that continues with uh, with your tight head.
0: Yeah, it maybe it's um. I, after I, I was at Cambridge and I was just waiting to try to get onto my second year of a postgraduate course, and I played for Bedford um, when Paul Turner was coaching, and um, there was quite a lot of money coming in, and it was um, it was backed really well and. Um, Jeff Probin was playing at, at tight head. So, Jeff is my tight head. And I remember playing against Rugby Lions, and I was, Paul had, hadn't picked me up at Scrum Half, he'd chucked me on the wing, on the left wing, because um, he, he liked the way I, my, he, he liked the, the fact that I could kick well off my left foot, so he'd put me on the left wing and has an option there. Um, and I hurt my knee um in a in a double tackle and um i was also worried then that i mean i wouldn't get get my chance to go to cambridge to do my second year and uh my funding was reliant on me being fit and play rugby as well um and and jeff just saw me in the on the table and and looked at my knee and goes ah you fucked your acl that's you done and as a as a 20 year old or whatever i was um I was pretty depressed after that, and he, he didn't. He didn't say it with any tone of sympathy. He just looked at it and thought, "Well, that's you know, he's gone," and, and walked out the door. Um, and it, it, it was a bit of a. I've le- remembered that because it's a bit of a lesson on perhaps how not to, uh, how not to deliver bad news to somebody. Um, but but that was his way, and I guess that's the way he played the game as well. He wasn't the biggest, but he was just an amazing scrummager. Yeah, certainly, certainly,
1: uncompromising, un- un- uncompromising uh, un- player. Yeah, maybe keep him away from uh, from delivering any uh, delivering any of the medics news from uh, from this side. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, another uh, another old school uh, old school prop in Jeff Probin. Doesn't get much more old school than that. Uh, let's move on to the second row. Of course, uh, who's uh, what are we opting for here?
0: Yeah, well, you say not, this might be just as, old, as much old school. So, <laughs> so um, when I was at Loughborough, I also played for, uh, for Nottingham, for the Green and Whites in, mm. in be- Beeston back in, the, back in the day. And uh, I had gone there because Dusty Hare was, was coaching and he had watched me play for, I think it was London under-19s under or something like that. And Stuart Potter had just gone, Nottingham got relegated from what, what was top division. And the best players had gone to Leicester, like Stuart Pottu as was a centre, and Neil Back, and and a, and a few others. And so he had got me in to come in as an as a inside centre. And luckily, back in the day then, it wasn't about size. it was There was a, a bit more about it. And so I, I joined Nottingham, and the, cap, the captain of the team was Chris Gray, who was um, also playing for Scotland at the time and was second row in the team that, I think, won the Grand Slam in 1990. Uh, and I played my first friendly... And then, um, I got a 180 day ban for, um, a registration ban back then. So I had played, I'd pl- been training pre-season with my local club, Richmond and signed some sort of membership form that I wasn't sure what it was. Uh, but it turned out that it was a registration form to play for them. And you had to wait 180 days before you could play in the league, which was pretty much the whole season. Um, and then when I got back to playing, I got sent off, um, for allegedly kicking someone in the head and it it wasn't actually me I wasn't that type of player Um, but I got another 45 day ban for for that so in my first year I think 225 days of bans and then when I finally did get to to play I got on the bench against West Hartlepool and uh, and back then you only got on if there was was an injury Um, and we went all the way up to Hartlepool Uh, we lost I didn't get on We then had the bus ride back where it was the forwards versus the backs having a fight on the bus. Um, And I somehow managed to evade everybody by hiding. And they realized I was the only back left. And and Dorian West was playing for Nottingham and Chris Gray. They took me into the toilets um, on the bus, gave me a bit of a kick in. um, And I came off the bus with two big black eyes. came home to London, my dad picked me up and said, oh, it must have been a cracking game. Um, You were right (laughs) with these. And I I just said, yeah, I think I played okay. Uh, And I couldn't tell him that I'd been beaten up in the toilet by two of of my teammates. Um, And so Chris Chris gets number four slot for that. And he was a very nice man. He's a dentist, actually. Um, But uh, he's my number four. Yeah, well, hopefully he's carrying out the dental work with a bit more uh, a bit more care than
1: the uh, than the way he kind of readdressed your face on that day. But uh, <laughs> yeah, again, uh, another fantastic uh, another fantastic reason to to select him in the side. Just before we go on to talk about the other the other second row. When well, you've mentioned some brilliant clubs in there, you know the Bedford's and the Nottingham's and the West Hartlepool's and all of these kind of things. Mm. It's um, I suppose that's that's something that to go back to our earlier point right at the start of the pod. Those clubs finding their role in the in the modern games. It, it's a really difficult thing, isn't it? Because I think anyone who remembers rugby in the amateur has such fondness of, uh, of either you know playing or watching those clubs. But it's such a it is such a, a commercial entity now rugby that it, it's hard for them to to find their to find their way. You know what what is the what is the the long term future for clubs like that?
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think we don't want to go back to where it was, where you know the fixture list was a combination of a lot of friendlies and then I think it was like a dozen or so league games and not much more. And, um, and there was a little bit of relegation and promotion, but it, it, it didn't have that, didn't have that professionalism as a, even as like a, as a calendar of fixtures. But, um, it, yeah, I think there's a, there's, I like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love the premiership as it is, as it is, but I think it needs expansion. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I, and I think those clubs have all got to find their feet because so I've been at clubs, whether it's Nottingham or Hartlepool or Bedford or Richmond um, or Newbury, that have had a, a massive um, roller coaster of going down, you know, a number of divisions, but also have had to sell grounds on multiple occasions, um, and and people lose jobs because they've got it wrong and they haven't realised, you know, that what they're trying to achieve just wasn't achievable and. Um, you know, Newbury is a good example that you know it, it went down about seven leagues. I coached them as director of rugby. We took them to I think about fourth in the championship, and you know we, we lost by a point to Northampton Saints when they came down to the to the premiers, from the Premiership. But they tried to like follow, chase that dream and ended up you know having to um, drop down all those leagues. But now they're an amazing community club. They found their feet in in, in a decent level. And they've got a thriving minion and junior section and it's a real local hub. Um, and I think, you know, that's a good example of understanding where you are. And Richmond have done the same, you know, they they, they, know, they know where they want to get to and they know that there's other parts of the club that are just as important. That the amateur game is the heartbeat of what we all what we love about the game and, and we can't just forget about that and risk it at the uh, um, because of what we want to do at the top.
1: Yeah, no, it's absolutely, it's a, a fantastic point. Let's, uh, let's bring it back to your side then. Who's going to be joining uh, Chris Gray in the second place?
0: So um, he's, this is a guy that I coached with and I, I played against once when he was playing for Bath and, and I was playing for West Hartlepool um, and this is a guy called Martin Haag, Um And then when, um, when I got asked to coach um, England, my first, I, I did it part-time sevens combine it with my my coaching job at Newbury and then I went full-time and my first week um with at Twickenham was to go on tour with the England under 18s to Australia as their backs coach and forwards coach was Martin so um I just remember really fond memories of like that was a pretty cool way to start a new job fly to Australia with a bunch of um Young guys that were super keen and really wanted to play, and we had some good players back then, like uh, Courtney Laws and Joe Marler and Carl Ferns and Alex Gray, um, Jacob Rowan, I think James George was on that tour. Uh, Charlie Sharples, Henry Trinder, it was de- it was decent, and um, and Martin and me had a similar philosophy how how we wanted to to play, and I, I really remember those couple of weeks with fondness. So um, that's why. That's why, as well as being a very good rugby player, Hargies in in the second row.
1: Yeah, do you know, it's one of those names that I I just I hadn't I hadn't heard for a little while, and then when you mention it, instantly it takes you back to watching rugby in the nineties, and yeah, kind of a, a real stalwart for for Bath in you know when they were a hugely successful side, and and like you say, gone on and uh, and then had a fantastic coaching career as well. Right, Martin Harg, it is in uh, in alongside Chris Gray in the second row. Right, very uh, very. I keep using the word "old school," but it is. It's an uncompromising type five that, and I, <laughs> I, I like the look of it. Let's uh, let's see if things change up a little bit when we get into the back row.
0: Yeah, so I've got I've got at six. He normally played eight, but um, he couldn't get in front of the guy I picked at eight. But I've um, two players that I've that I've coached that I've that I've put in this team, um, and this is one of them. And this this guy was called James Forrester. Um, and, he, and he went on and got a handful of caps for England and then had a really serious knee injury playing for Gloucester that um, unfortunately never recovered from and, and he retired from the game really early um, and I guess I've got him in because he was one of the most hunted rugby players I've I've coached but I had um, finished playing again prematurely got a job supply teaching in in comprehensives in London I was teaching at a, a school behind Ikea at Wembley and Brent Cross um, and then uh, then at school in Southall where uh, I coached football and then I got uh, a move to a boarding school in in Oxford St Edwards uh, where they made me um, kind of their head of rugby and I was head of PE as well um, and Django James Forrester was it was number eight in that team and he kind of just Alongside he had a good guy, Johnny Goodridge playing at fly half. who also played for Gloucester and a scrum half that played county cricket called Kenny Bingham. And the three of them were just fantastic. And I guess as a new coach, when you start up, you need a little bit of luck on the beginning of your journey. And I had him in particular that won so many games for that team and had, had a had a great start to my coaching career that it helped propel me a little bit more in, into the spotlight. It gave me, I think, back then it just was Something as simple maybe as a, the county assistant coach's job or something like that, but it, it put me a bit more on the map and gave me um, confidence that what I was doing was was right. So it's kind of a, a thank you for him, and also you know he. I think if he had carried on playing, um, we would been talking about him alongside the the Delalios and and Hills. Um, he was he was an amazing rugby player.
1: Yeah, I mean that's 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 really big praise because yeah, like you say, he only I think he only had to, yeah one or one or two caps for uh, mm. for England, but everyone spoke about him as just having such fantastic uh, such fantastic ability and a real you know a, a great ball playing back row forward and and uh, you know I, I think anyone connected with Gloucester would would say very similar things to what you've just said there really.
0: Yeah, no, he was a cracker. So at open side at seven, I've got Richard Hill. Um, Mainly because he's embarrassed me twice. Um, so uh, the first time was when I was playing for Loughborough Freshers, and and back then at the end of the season, you'd have this big jamboree final game where you play England Colts at Loughborough, um, and it was a big game, and you designed your own shirt for it and everything else. And so we were playing um, that year. Richard Hill was there. I was on the left wing, and uh, and he just broke off the back of the scrum, and then and just um, I gave him the out. Thought I'd give him the outside. Uh, as you should really as a winger against a back rower and he took it and just blazed past me and scored in the corner um and it was in front of all the drunken students and they didn't particularly enjoy that moment for me and then a few years later i was playing for west hartleypool and i'd had a really good game the week before and the week before that and I, and we were then playing saracens on the sunday and it was at Enfield i think where they, where they, one of the moves they had made where the, the football club and they were it was a you know a, a side full of glitter really it had had richard hiller at seven i was playing i was playing nine that day opposite kieran bracken Michael Liner was at 10 seller was in that team um, you know it really was you you name it that that was a great side but it was in 97 i think when the lines were about to get selected on the sunday or the monday morning um, Kieran Bracken was having uh, ambitions of playing in the British Lions and I thought they might they might even name three English scrum in that tour and um, I was playing well enough to f- to to be confident enough to think maybe I'd have an outside crack of the England tour to Argentina that year um, and so I started the game with a ton of confidence after five minutes Richard Hill stamped on my ankle and, and that was it really. Um, Kieran Bracken then took me to the cleaners um, I was on one leg playing terribly didn't want to go off because I wanted to try to um to play the whole game and 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 run it off uh and and then uh i remember mark ring i think mark ring was more than a little upset i think he probably had a a few quid on us beating saracens after the after the week before and so and we were in a porter cabin uh and uh um i got i got changed my dad was waiting for me um and I think he said something like, "Oh, maybe this wouldn't be a bad time to retire you know when I was about twenty three or twenty four he realized I'd had an absolute stinker of a game um and he dropped me off at a pub in Wimbledon where I met a couple of mates to console me um and so that's why Richard Hills in at seven oh yeah well you
1: i think I think after those two experiences it'd be a relief to have him in the in in the same side <laughs> as you keep uh, keep you out of trouble for a little uh, for a little while there <laughs> What about uh, number
0: eight? Number eight, um, I'm lucky that I played with some great back rowers. Um, but number eight um, was a guy that I played with at Cambridge in my first year called Steve Surridge. Um, Steve's gone on to coach and, and he's an engineer now. But um, And he, he left Cambridge, played for the Crusaders in New Zealand. They won back-to-back super rugby. And then he went on a couple of All Blacks tours and got some caps for the All Blacks at number eight. Uh, he was also a black belt judo. Um, I remember going to watch him in the varsity match against Oxford. We drove all the way across to Oxford, and then after six seconds, whatever the throw was that you had to do, where the bout's all over, um, he had done it. And then we got back and, and went went back to Cambridge. And he was um, he was he used his judo amazingly well in the way that he would um, operate in close quarters. He was brilliant off the base. Um, but he was also someone that I always had to room with. They always had eight and nine together rooming. Um, so I'd room with him at away games and, and even big home games would stay the night before um, in a hotel in Cambridge. And, and back then that was when it was amateur still. So I would you'd play with these guys that would then go on and play international rugby like Steve. Uh, Nick Warren was playing in that team that went on to play for Wales and then got that ridiculous ban for not being Welsh, even though he's about the most Welsh person I've ever met. Um, Tom Murphy was playing hooker, went to play for Australia, and Steve Cottrell, who's a New Zealand lawyer now was, and for the All Blacks, was in the centre. Um, and, but, but Steve also was the biggest snorer that I've ever, I've ever <laughs> met in my life. And I, I'd go, every every night that we'd, we'd stay in a away game, I'd start in the twin room, hoping that maybe, just maybe, he wouldn't snore this time. He'd snore so the earplugs would go in, um, and then the pillows would go round, and it still wouldn't stop, so then I'd end up in the bath um with with the earplugs and the pillows around me and that would be the night before any game that we'd play away from home um but but uh he was an amazing player and so for those combination of things i guess he's in at number eight well as soon as you're uh
1: as soon as you're picking this side as well we'll um we'll even let you pick the uh the combination of who rooms with who as well so if you want to get a good night's kip you can uh, you can put steve in with someone else maybe maybe jeff Probin. i don't think, uh, yeah um, i imagine there'll be a lot of snoring going on in that room uh right well a pretty formidable pack but not without uh, not without a couple of ball players in the in the back row too and uh, we look forward to seeing who will be joining them in the backs and we're going to be doing that after this
0: very very short break.
1: Right, time now, Ben, for you to let us know who is in your back division. Of course, first we'll be starting uh, with the scrum half. Uh, are you tempted to slot yourself in here?
0: No, um, I can just about bend down these days. Uh, I would. I've, I've had some. I've had some good battles against different scrum halves, and I can think about playing against Dowie Morris or Kieran Bracken, um, uh, amongst others. I guess Matt Dawson when he was at Saints, but the um, but the guy two guys really that that got in one was Brian Redpath um because he played against me in Melrose sevens um played both got to the final obviously it was he was playing for the for the home club and they hadn't won their own tournament for a long long time um and i think out of their seven six of them were, were current scottish internationals and and they played well but he absolutely um took me to the cleaners which was it was a, it was a perfect show from how to play niners in sevens um, and I was going to put him in, but then I've, I've actually slipped in Peter Richards, um, who played against when he was at Lund Irish, when I was at Hartlepool, and I remember playing against Irish, I got a bang in the head, and back then, I used to get these weird um, uh, concussions that were, um, that, and they were, uh, they make you fail, so you, you'd get a bang on the head, you'd be looking down at what was going on in the field, and you'd, you could, you could, you could say well I know that that guy's going to pass the ball to him he's going to chip it and then he's going to get tackled and that's what happened and you thought you had some sort of weird ability to have a sixth sense but it was just your brain had seen all of this but somehow hadn't processed it and then I had one of those moments against London Irish, and then I went to put the ball in at a scrum for Hartlepool and I went around the wrong side of the scrum and and Pete Richards just said that's the wrong side you you, you. he said uh, uh, I swear I don't normally swear, but he said, "That's wrong side, you fucking mong." And uh, and I d- didn't really have any comeback to him other than, "Yeah, that's not that's not the best thing to do as a scrum half to try to put the ball in on the wrong side." So um, uh, I went around the other side, and then I think he nicked the ball off me at the scrum, and it was another one of those moments where I had an awful game. But he was coming up the the ranks a very talented scrum half that um, that probably could have done more of his career. But I've got him in at nine.
1: Well, yeah, and end, ended up playing in a in a World Cup final, of course. And again, if memory serves me correctly. He was in some weird, you know, was he? Did he end up in the centre or on the flank in that in that World Cup final?
0: Yeah, maybe I don't know, but I, I remember he lost it. He forgot to take his boots to one Test match. Um, maybe that was in that the tour of of hell. In in in, what coming point was Yeah, yeah. seven ninety eight or something. Yeah, Yeah.
1: all right. Peter Peter Richards is uh, in at uh, in at nine. Going to have a look at at fly half now. Uh, What kind of fly half did you did you like to play alongside? Was there a particular you know? Did you like to have a strong kicking option outside of you, or uh, did you prefer to have someone who could kind of run it from all over? I,
0: yeah, I loved. A, I just loved a, a ten that wouldn't stop talking. That would always always be kind of navigating me and telling me whether to to play the ball into the forwards a little bit or let him have it or or, or when to do things. I like that direction. And actually, at Cambridge I had a good young fly half that had just come out of England schools called Rob Ashforth, and he, he ended up playing in the, for various Northern clubs and he was at Arlen Irish for a while. But um, he doesn't make my ten slot. And I was lucky. I played against some good Paul Turner when. As at Bedford, you know he was, um, you know he was. He, he demanded that ball had to be delivered exactly where he wanted it, or he'd just throw it back at you at training. Um, but he just could kick the ball off either foot and was amazing. And Mark Ring, even though he was coaching at Hartlepool, when um, you know you're warming up, he'd, he'd talk, he'd talk you through how to kick the ball on the outside of your foot, spinning the wrong way or whatever it was to to do something, and he'd have some pretty cool. Um, at row moves as well that, that involved you. But the the guy that I, I put at 10, um, I put him really because I thought it was just quite a momentous moment. It was again playing for Cambridge and it was against Cardiff and it was on a Friday night. Um, Saturday, Wales were playing Fiji and Jonathan Davis was making his return back to rugby union from rugby league. So it was a full house at the arms park and um, which was just called full stop really. And, uh, and, and Jonathan was playing at, at 10 that, that day um, and so just the fact that I'd watched him playing league I'd watched him playing union I was I just thought he was so such a good footballer so quick um, that it was it was just a pleasure really just to be on the same field as him so he's my number 10.
1: I think we've done about 12 or 14 of these um of these dream 15 episodes now and he has been the one who's been picked the most consistently i think people just you know we've had a lot of people who've, who've played with him you know phil davis uh and uh, and, and uh, kind of rupert moon talking about him as well but he, he is just one of those players who you know whether you've played with him or you've watched him as a fan he he just delights players in the uh, sorry he just delights Uh, it's just a delight to watch you know and and particularly particularly when he's when he's at his uh, when he's at his absolute best just you know unplayable really yeah
0: no he was he's terrific and I'm lucky enough that I've uh, I've worked with him a bit in media stuff and various other things around the world since and he's just a lovely guy so and, and very funny so um, he'd be great off-field banter as well just to, because Steve Surridge at number eight was not, didn't really smile. So we would need, uh, and we would need some, some, some fun in there looking at that pack. There there wasn't, there's not a lot going on really. So him and Trevor Liotta probably at the moment would have to be doing their bit. Keeping morale
1: up. Right. Let's see if that improves as we, uh, as we start to have a look at the wingers, let's start with the 11 jersey.
0: Yeah. He, I think he probably played 14 more, but um, uh I'll stick uh, I'll, I'll swap it around a bit at yeah. uh, 11 I've got another um, rugby league um, player that I played along well I never actually I, I trained alongside and then um, we were in the same team but he, he got picked ahead of me um, when I wasn't playing nine and that's Martin Afire mm. um, So this and, is Bedford um, is that right? Yeah that's right it's Bedford when he, when he came back um, he came to Bedford and again that was when they had a, a lot of money and Get, got promoted that year but i remember it really because again a bit like jonathan um it was martin's first game back into into union and so all the cameras were at goldentown road to 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 watch him make his make his debut and in the warm-up um he he bashed his toe doing something that ruled him out the game so i went from being on the bench to going on to the left wing and uh, all the cameras were there, light bulbs flashing, ready to, to watch Martin do his scene in the first game. And out came this little ginger bloke wearing his, wearing his shirt. And they just had all these sighs, collective sighs, when they saw me uh, <laughs> running on the field. And half the ground disappeared in the first 10 minutes. Um, but for that reason, really, I've got, I've got Martin in there uh, at 11 because it was a memory that I've, I've still not managed to shake off.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting one because I, I remember Martin Afire, uh playing league, you know, and watching him. Some of that, you know, one of the the, the tries scored against uh, against Leeds in the Challenge Cup final, whenever that was. You know, it's just it's one of the greatest feats of uh, of athletic ability you'll ever see in any sport. It just, you know, and it just looks incredible. Um, and I always just that, you know, I think he's one of those players that. If he was, you know, if he was in his twenties now, he would fit into the he would fit into the modern game just because of the uh, the way he approached it, whether it was league or union.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and, and like with my sevens hat on, can you imagine what he would have done? I mean, he did he did some amazing things for that Wigan team at, at Middlesex sevens, when the, the one that sh, that Sean Edwards was in as well. Um, yeah. but he would have been um, unbelievable on the seven circuit as well. So yeah, a real talent.
1: It's been doing the rounds the video of that uh, of the one with with Wigan in it, and um, I, I watched the, the entire. Was it was, that, was it? was for Harlequins? They played in the final. I watched the entire video of it the other day, and it's it's just amazing because you've got guys who've been you know who've been professional their entire careers, um, just applying that to it to a completely different form of the game and making it look so easy. You know, players and, and that was a mixture of players, you know, obviously Martin fire had played, and um, had played union. I think perhaps at that stage Jason Robertson might have done a little bit. I think he played briefly for Bath. Um but then yeah. you had you know then you had other players like uh, you know like Farrell and Radlinski in there who'd never yeah. who'd never played um never played any form of union and made it made it look so easy. It was just yeah it's an astonishing thing to watch actually looking back at it.
0: Yeah, and I guess it showed you that when you when you're a professional athlete, you know what gains you can make from a physical side, and that, and you know, when we were still amateur in the union game, and they were professional, not only did they have better skill set, they're just 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 on a different planet as far as athletic ability, and obviously that's changed now. And, and union players certainly can go toe to toe, and and the rugby league players like the Jared Hayneses of this world that I've coached alongside some of the union certainly, you uh, uh, I. I think union players are as 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 athletic as as their league con- counterparts, if not probably more at the moment these days.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think you're probably right. But yeah, Martin fired that's uh, yeah, it's, it's starting to look like a very exciting back division. Uh, let's go over to the other wing then.
0: Yeah, on the on the other wing is I thought I'd have a bit bit of uh, some more Welshmen in there, and this was a guy that played against um, playing. He played for Clentley and was captain. Um, uh, Yian Evans so and it was I remember going to 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 Australia Park um, and again it was quite a, a a difficult environment as a not just a, a ginger short-sighted left-handed uh, Englishman but also playing for Cambridge University you know as, as a bunch of students um, and back then it was you know it was, these friendlies were, f- were full bore so Scarlet's had their full side out um, I was getting abused by I think there was a a Welsh priest that would run up and down the the touchline shouting abuse. And I got most of that all day. Um, I then got punched by Yian, I think as I, as I tackled him, um, and the grandstand and then the referee we were winning the game, the last kick of the game, uh, he decided to give a random uh, penalty to Scarlet's that they had in front of the post. I think the referee just wanted to get invited back to referee again. Um, and so Scarlet's won, won, won the game that day, but, um, I remember again; it was another one where is, this was a guy that I've watched playing for Wales on telly, and it was a real honour to be sharing, sharing the pitch with him. Yeah, again, it, it'll be
1: no; it'll come as no surprise that he's another one who's been consistently uh, selected throughout this, and uh, he's yeah was an absolute joy to watch uh, at his best, which was you know which was pretty much his in his entire career, you know, consistently brilliant, scored incredible number of tries, uh, particularly for. For that period of time and playing in some uh you know in some whale sides that were really you know that were really struggling uh you know mm-hmm. the, the kind of the mid to the mid to late 90s you know there, there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of joy and a lot of wins for wales so one of those players who just uh, just always did it interesting there you kind of touching on on straddy park you know the, obviously this 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 part of taking a bit of a theme of looking back at at some of the amateur uh, the, the aspects of the amateur game um I, I, I suppose with that comes those those stadiums that are very very hard to play in. You know those ground, mm. I suppose grounds is a better word for it because you've got the the players right on on top of you. Whereas I think you know sometimes you know with with no disrespect to to the Ospreys, you know if you're playing in front of four and a half thousand rattling around the Liberty, it's not the same as as if you're playing in a in a tough environment like a you know like you know perhaps like like the knoll or like Straddy Park or like Rodney Parade where you've got people breathing breathing down your neck.
0: Yeah, no, and I, I was lucky that I I got to I got to play in a lot of the Welsh grounds because when I was younger, my mum's um uh Welsh background, grandparents, my granddad played cricket for Glamorgan and was also a minor. And so I kind of just to appease her a little bit, I, I played a bit for Welsh Exiles, um, but um Quickly realised, like in the change rooms of all when they were singing the Welsh anthem, that just, I just, just, I just couldn't. It wasn't really me. Um, but we got to as Welsh exiles, we'd play these often like midweek night games at places like Newport, or Cross Keys, or Glamorgan Wanderers, or uh, Swansea against the regions or, or the districts, or however they were they were made up back then, and they were brilliant. I just loved it. You know, just proper proper rugby grounds. Um, that had a real atmosphere to them.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a, it is definitely one of the one of the things that um, that I kind of much prefer to to go and watch rugby in a uh, uh, in an old fashioned ground and be right on top rather than you know kind of a, a bit of a, a bit of a Lego stadium. Um, let's have a look at the let's have a look at the sensors now, Ben. What uh, what are you opting for here?
0: I've, I've played against a ton of great ones, um, but I've gone for someone that again that I played with. Um, who 's now the team manager at Montpellier um, in the top fourteen in France, um, and before that was was the team manager for Toulon for a long time Tom Whitford or Twitford, as as most of us called him, and he was this archetypal quite bumbling um, posh Englishman that um, that played fair played for Cambridge um, He then went on to play for Richmond and then captain Toulon and got them promoted and at the same same moment uh, suffered a bad knee injury and the, the owner at the time promised Tom a job for life. Um, and and that's pretty much what happened until he left for Montpellier. And he was just like another one, great value off the field. He was a hundred percenter. He would take the ball on. I, I remember him going on an Easter tour once where he, he he was also a fellow redhead and he wore a wig for the entire Easter tour. Um, and it was only whilst he was playing in one of the games that he, he took a crash ball and uh, his wig flew off and the, and the opposition generally felt his head had gone um <laughs> that they realized that it was a wig um and he would just randomly if you needed brightening up he'd tell you a random story uh, he, he he i remember he, he once uh, um was looking after his girlfriend's dog and um the dog drowned in the swimming pool and he had to he knew the dog was dead but the, the girlfriend was very upset and so so tom had to resuscitate or try to resuscitate poor Horace for for minutes as the blood and the everything else was going into Tom's mouth. Um and he would just have a just a just one story after another around that. So he would with Jonathan Davis, I think they would actually make a good partnership off the field more perhaps than on the field. That is absolutely brilliant. When you when you said
1: it I, I you know a bit of a rugby nerd, and when I mean, you said, I thought, God, oh, I'm not going to be able to add much to this. But when you've got stories like playing an entire Easter tour in a wig and trying to resuscitate a dog that you've accidentally <laughs> drowned, I, there's, nothing, there's nothing more I need to add. So, so Tom Whitford is, is, is welcome to that number twelve shirt.
0: Yeah, brilliant.
1: All right, outside centre.
0: Yeah, so he's the only other player that I've got in here because I probably owe him the most in my career than any other player, and that's my Fijian sevens captain Osseo Nassau. So um, he plays. Now in the MLR, um, he's in Houston or they're just about to, um, to draft somewhere else, I think. Uh, and he's just one of those players that was just a, a huge leader, a real cultural architect. Um, I wouldn't have survived my time in Fiji without him. And in the, my first week I was there, um, I, I inherited a team that eight selectors had picked. I didn't know any of them. And one of them broke, broke their leg in, in one of the tournaments before we went for my, to my first World Series event and so I could select Oscar um, and the Fijian rugby union told me he was bad news he was a he was a troublemaker um, and I thought well, he's that's the sort of bloke that I want him in, in my team and he was none of those things other than an amazing leader and when we talk about Fijian sevens it's normally why Sali Serevi and occasionally William Ryder but Oscar's. You know, one more things than probably any of those guys, one more Hong Kong's, um, one more world titles, Olympic gold medal winning captain, um, and and certainly a future Fijian Sevens head coach and, and a and a coach at any other level of the game. He's he's an, a, a bright, engaging guy. So um I had to put him in somewhere and thirteen in his pomp, um I think he would have done a good job.
1: Oh, it's a great pick. And it's really interesting there you say that you know that things things could have been slightly differently um particularly if they you know the selectors had had their way how convinced were you that that he was the right choice from the outset
0: yeah i mean not that i want to plug my book but i do talk about him quite a lot in in seven's heaven on that those meetings where i kind of met him and his and his dad um his dad's uh, uh a, 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 an amazing man as well and like basically you know we both needed each other at that, that, that time in our career i was disillusioned with the game and I hope fiji was going to give me a reset button Osea had been dropped for standing up for the rights of the players and coaches had, had just just ignored him and he he was ready just to, to kick to kick it all to touch and then i came along and made him put him in the team and made him captain and, and you know and the two of us um were were tight for those 3 years and you know he, he was one of those captains that leads by example. So, after a couple of games, I've, I've, he's passed out on my shoulder with the amount of uh, effort that he's put in, and nobody could ever doubt that. So, he'd also be captain of this team as well. Um, but I, I absolutely, uh, he was integral to everything that we did in Fiji.
1: Right, the, uh, the captain's armband and the number 13 shirt to Asaya say, Right, only one position left, and that is fullback.
0: Yeah, and and this is a toss-up between two Englishmen, really. One was uh, Josh Lucy, uh, and Josh Josh's team, because um, I remember playing with him for the Penguins um, in the Kuala Lumpur Tens, um, and we were he was he was only eighteen, and he'd just come off either stop finished playing for England schools or Colts or somebody and he had this amazing confidence I'd never had seen in any any young player and uh, we lost to the New Zealand Maoris in the semi-final but the night before myself and one of the other players had gone to get a McDonald's um, and uh, had this terrible food poisoning so I was, I was in the toilet before the game at half-time and after the game and at one point in the semi-final, when I got tackled by my opposite number, I was also, unfortunately, um, uh, did a number two um, on the field. Um, it was, it, it, uh, and that was very embarrassing. I can only really apologise to him um, for, for that. But Josh was in that team. But he didn't make it. And the guy that made it is a one that I was at Loughborough with and, and then uh, played... Played with a little bit, but we kind of i used to play a bit at fullback as well. And, and he played, got some caps for England um, on that Argentina tour '97. That's Mark Mapletoft. Mm. And Mark's in for a number of reasons. Firstly, a lot of rugby players will often say, oh, do you know what? If I'd chosen football, I could have been a professional footballer. And then you just have a kick around with them and realise they're rubbish. Mark, Mark is genuinely was an amazing footballer. And he was on the books at Coventry, but he could undoubtedly have played professional football at a very high level, very talented in that respect. I remember playing for Midlands under 21s with him against Midlands A at, um, at Northampton. He scored 21 points on his 21st birthday, which I thought was kind of cool. But also he he's kind of like a, it's a bit of a thank you, I suppose. When I got asked by England to apply for um, various roles when I was at Newbury, it was England under 20s that they, uh, they asked me to apply for. And Mark also went for that job. And um the sevens job then became a became available at the same time. So they they said to us, you know, you know a bit more about sevens and Mark does. So why don't you do the sevens team? Mark does the twenties. And after a year, we can have a look at it and maybe swap it around. And uh, and we said, yeah, no problem. And then the rest really um, happened. I stuck to sevens and had the next fifteen years in various sevens teams. And and Mark had a really and is having a really good career as a as a 15s coach so i guess if that season hadn't been made i probably wouldn't be on this podcast talking to you
1: there we go and that's actually been a bit of a theme running through hasn't it you've uh, you've been sure to thank uh, to thank some of those uh, some of those players you've uh, who've had a, a key role in um in your career and, uh, and mark Mapletoft gets the uh, the 15 shirt right there are a couple more remaining questions ben i can't even remember if i warned you about these so you might no, go think, on. yeah you might have to think on your feet so you've already okay. named the captain, which is great, uh, and that sounded like a very easy pick. Uh, you also get to to, uh, to choose the opposition. So if you could have this side take on any side from history, who would you like them? Who would you like to see them take on?
0: Oh gosh, any side from history. I would take the uh, Fijian team that beat Wales in the World Cup in France, and then should have beaten almost. Beat South Africa to get to those semi-finals, but um, that team with Rao Looney and Saramaya Bai and 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 so many amazing Fijian players, and they were they were on fire in that tournament. So it would make for a very fun game.
1: It would, and I'm still having nightmares about that team. So that's a, that's a, <laughs> a, that's a, that's a wise choice. Um, and you also get to choose uh, the grounds where this would take place. Obviously, we've, we've spoken about some of those uh, some of those great old grounds. Um, uh, already on this podcast, but you would also get to choose the location of where you'd like to see this take place. could Be any ground, either
0: existing Oof. or uh, or older. Crikey, that's a that's an, that's. A, I wouldn't go for a big flash ground. I don't think. I don't think that's quite in line with the team that I picked. Um, so it would either be uh, going to get back to Grange Road and playing there at Cambridge Play, or it would have to be. Um, Probably, actually, I'd I'd take it to the uh, um, Yasawa Islands in Fiji um, and go to Yasawa Village uh, where they have a, a sevens tournament every year. The pitch is um, in the middle of the village. Um, I remember going to watch a tournament there, and they had when I got there they had put a couch on the halfway line for me. Um, the women had got had prepared me a big urn of of sugary tea and a load of fluorescent cakes for me and a, and a parasol and I, and I sat and watched um village rugby, sevens rugby for the first time and um and then we all got on on little boats from to go to go back to various places where we were going to stay that evening in the Asawas. so I think that would have to take it I mean, and all the all the players would, would certainly enjoy um going there and then having a lava a, like a, a barbecue afterwards where then it's like a um like a hungy where it's where it's um Cooked under the ground. Um, I think that would be a lot of fun. Sounds amazing. I will tell you what, I'll,
1: I, you can even make it a two-test series if you like. So you can have the first one at Grange Road, and mm-hmm. then you can go on the uh, you can go and enjoy yourself out in the Yasawa Islands. So uh, yeah, I'll uh, give you a pass on that. And then the final uh, the final question is: you also get to choose the uh, you get to choose the jersey that the team would put on. Is there a a particular you know particular color or particular jersey that that, that you'd like to see this team take the field in?
0: Well, I think I'm gonna. This is just. I think I'm. These days, like I love watching my rugby, but I'm also a, a pretty passionate Brentford football supporter. And we are going. Th- we are going through halcyon days at the moment. Third in the championship, and actually with a, a realistic chance that the promised land might actually happen. Um, and the old school, an old school red and white striped uh, vertical shirt with the old KLM sponsors that they used to have over the top of the stadium at Griffin Park and the the those old school shirts um i think i'd make i make the team play in those fantastic
1: uh, I, I love that and uh, yeah again it, it ties it up all nice together because talking about great grounds to watch sport Griffin Park is undoubtedly one of those yeah. uh, one of those fantastic old places uh, Ben it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for joining us really enjoyed uh really enjoyed the. Uh, look at that team some some familiar names in there and so some not so familiar but a story for each of them so thank you very much for joining us
0: No, no problem jed really really enjoyed it thank you very much thank you Cheers.
1: sports social podcast network